Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Be Her Village podcast. My name is Caitlin Legreas, and I'm the founder of Be Her Village. Be Her Village is an online gift registry for what moms really need, support, not stuff. We're talking to providers and people who care for moms in their pregnancy, their birth, their postpartum. We're talking to real moms and hearing their stories and really just getting into all the good stuff that comes along with new parenthood. So check us out, tune in, and let us know what you think. Hello, hello. This is Janelle with the Be Her Village podcast, and this is an episode of Partners and Parents, where we talk to moms and dads and partners in birth. Today, we're talking with Bethany Purificato, who is a mom of a seven-month-old who had quite... The unexpected birth and postpartum experience. Caitlin prefaces this as she's introducing the episode as well, but this episode recounts a traumatic birth and a traumatic postpartum experience. So I wanted to give you a heads up because if this is not something you feel ready to listen to right now, if this is something that you feel sensitive to, I wanted to give you fair warning that there is medical trauma, emotional trauma, and if you don't feel ready for that, this is a good episode to come back to another time. We, on the Be Her Village podcast, are interested in sharing all kinds of birth stories, everything from easy births to the traumatic births, because there is truth in each of those stories There is a point of connection in each of those stories where somebody who is listening is feeling seen and heard and validated, supported, and educated. So it's really important to us to share all kinds of birth stories. We're really grateful for Bethany and coming on and getting vulnerable with us and for getting real with us, raw with us. And not only recounting her story in her birth and postpartum experience, but also sharing with us what she's doing to help heal from her experience, which is really so inspiring. So again, thank you, Bethany, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I think it's going to help many moms who might have been through some traumatic experiences themselves who aren't talking about it. And I think you're bravery and sharing your story will help other moms share their stories. So enjoy this episode with Bethany Purificato. My name is Bethany Purificato. I am married for three years now to my husband, Jimmy, and we have a seven-month-old daughter, Penelope. Uh, I love them both more than anything. I'm an insurance broker, close with my family, live in Hot Pog, so I'm very local. Love it. Love it. I'm so glad that you're here today to talk to me. Um, The Be Her Village podcast originally started as a way to have professionals that are supporting mothers and parents um, come on and tell their stories and give a little background and give some tips to new parents. But what we also started uh, doing recently is inviting parents on to our podcast so that we can hear real stories of parenting, of birth, of conception, of all the things that sort of encompass this transition into parenthood. So I'm really excited to hear your story, Bethany, and I know you have quite a story to tell, 
I want to preface by saying to our listeners that this story includes trauma. It includes hard things. It includes um, things going wrong during the birth and struggle and a lot of really tough things. And I say that because I know that for a lot of people who are pregnant or are struggling on their own, maybe they don't want to hear stories like this. And I respect that. And if you want to press pause or move on to the next episode, that's fair. And we all have to really be careful with what we consume. At the same exact time, I think every single person has a story and deserves to tell their story because it's theirs. And I think that um, while telling positive birth stories is really great because it's really great to hear positive birth stories as you prepare, sometimes, um, and I know I have this experience, sometimes it actually leaves you not as prepared as you'd like to be because you don't know what it looks like on the other side and you don't know um, the trauma that exists and you can feel really, really alone. So this is my large disclaimer for what we're about to talk about. Um, Bethany actually asked me at the beginning of this, is there anything I shouldn't say, you know, and it's like, nope, we're gonna, we're gonna tell people what we're talking about, and let them decide for themselves. And your, your story is your truth. And I'm not going to ever ask you to filter that um, for somebody else's sake. So I really, really appreciate you coming on here, having this conversation, it will help other people, um, no matter what stage of parenthood they're in. So I really appreciate your time and your energy and your vulnerability with us today. Yes, thank you. I appreciate being on here. This is something that I definitely wouldn't have done a few months ago. And I wouldn't even have imagined that this would have happened to me while I was pregnant. And just like you said, I was not prepared for what was going to happen or all of the bad things that could go wrong with my delivery. And I shied away from hearing about any bad things because I was too scared and like, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. And now after what happened to me and experiencing what I did, I've realized how common trauma is with birth and it's now a part of me. And most people don't understand that because they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. And I'm not on here for anyone to pity me or feel bad for me. I just want people to know what can happen to be prepared for it and understand that some people's struggles are silent and you don't know what is going on. I'm just telling you right now, I'm already going to cry. So absolutely, that's crying is a good thing. Crying is a release. It really is. And I am, again, grateful for you showing up and being yourself and telling your story. So, so give us a snapshot of what, what actually happened. Like walk us through Bethany, the pregnant person. What, what were you, what were you doing? How were you preparing? What did you expect? And then what was the turn? Bethany, the pregnant lady, was pretty great. I overall had a very easy pregnancy. I was nauseous for like three days. Not a big deal. And I had anxiety before getting pregnant. So it was a little bit rougher during my pregnancy. But then I also had COVID while I was pregnant. Oh, right. A little pandemic. Yeah. You know, no big deal. And I also, then my mother-in-law passed away. My dad had cancer and had to have surgery. So it was a stressful pregnancy for the outside. But me physically was pretty good. Um, we were originally told at our 20 week sonogram that my daughter may be born with club feet. So we prepared for that. I cried for three days just because it was something I didn't have any experience with. And we said, you know what, we're going to take this head on or she's our daughter. She's our, she's perfect no matter what. Mm -hmm. So we're going to deal with it. Um, but overall had a pretty good pregnancy. 
um, they told us she was going to be big and my husband and I are both large people. So we prepared to be early, have a big baby, not a big deal. And anytime I met with my doctor, I said, whatever we need to do to both keep me and the baby healthy, I am down for. I didn't have a very strict birth plan. I wanted us both to be healthy. I wanted that golden hour of skin to skin. I wanted delayed cord cutting. But other than that, I wasn't. You weren't like militantly anti-epidural or like if you needed a C-section, it wouldn't be devastating. No. Okay. And I had somewhat prepared for a C-section because they kept telling me how big she was going to be. And with the club foot, they didn't know if it would cause any more trauma by having her come out vaginally. So I was prepared for a C-section as long as we were both safe and healthy. Right. So Thanksgiving night, my water broke and my husband and I went to the hospital. Everything seemed okay. I was already pretty much fully effaced. I was already three centimeters dilated and things progressed pretty quickly. I did 100% get an epidural because I could not handle that pain. And I have had more epidurals when we need them, right? (laughs) I give moms who don't get them extreme credit and you are extreme warriors (laughs) because I could not handle that. And then after about eight to nine hours in labor, my blood pressure dropped. It was 80 over 50. It was very low. And the baby's heart rate kept dropping. Every time I had a contraction, they lost her heart rate. My doctor didn't get there until about nine hours into labor because it was the on-call doctor. So when she came in, did some testing, and they said she wasn't progressing any further down the birth canal. She was at station negative one and not coming any further. So because I had lost so much fluid with my water breaking, fully effaced, fully dilated for a few hours at that point, that we may need to do a C-section. I said, okay, not a big deal. A few hours go by, we pushed on and off for a little while. No, still no progression. So around 10 o'clock in the morning, the doctor said, we're going to do a C-section. It's not an emergency. We don't have to rush in there. There's one going on right now. Let's wait a little bit see what happens. So I said, okay. They wheel me into the OR at 12. Everything's set up perfectly clean, terrifying because Mm -hmm. I've never had any surgery before. I've never even had stitches before this. I've never broken a bone, knock on wood. So this was all very new to me, any sort of hospital stay. I think that's very common too. I think that's part of what makes birth so difficult is that most of us are really healthy and haven't interacted with our hospital system or I had never, I also had a C-section with my first and I remember being rolled in and you're not allowed to have your partner there in the beginning for whatever reason. I don't understand it. Um, and so they rolled me in and it was like super cold and this big, bright, round light. I, and I remember thinking, huh, this is exactly what I would think an OR would look like. It was yeah. very like cliche. Yes. But, and then they put me on the table and they strapped me to the table, which I was not okay with my arms completely outstretched, strapped down. So I couldn't move. And it was very uncomfortable for me. That's exact same, same thing happened to me. It was one of the worst parts of the season. It's it's one of the worst things because I had zero control. And as a person with anxiety and a type A personality, not having control made it even worse for me. So then they, you know, they let my husband come in at that point and he sits right down next to me. He's holding my hand. He's rubbing my head with his other hand. And everything gets started and they cut me open and then I hear a lot of flurry a lot of movement and a lot of people talking and I hear them paging urology and another surgeon to come in thanks my doc my OB who is performing the c-section comes over to me and says that she cut my bladder open okay that the bladder and the uterus look exactly the same is what she said, and she accidentally cut my bladder. Oh, boy. 
so that as soon as the baby was out, they were going to have to do the repairs. So she was calling someone in to come assist her because obviously she's not qualified to do the bladder repair. She sounds barely qualified to do a C-section, to be honest. Um, I agree. And I found that out later on as well. Wow. But from one of the nurses, but we'll get to that. Okay. So, so then all I'm asking for is about the baby. They get, so then she goes to do the actual C-section and cut open my uterus. And I hear say, where's the baby? Turns out that she missed on all over 12 of my scans that I have a uterine septum. So I actually have an extra pouch in my uterus. So when she cut it open, she cut the extra pouch. So then they had to flip my uterus over and get the baby out. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. So then she's trying to explain this to me. And at first, at first I thought I had two uteruses because I I'm in surgery. I'm on pain medication. I don't really know what's going on. All I care about is my baby at this point. And that happens. People have two vaginas, two uteruses. Right. So I was just like, how have I not known this as a 33 year old woman or 32 at the time? How did I not know that this was going on? Right. So I was just like, okay, how's the baby? So they get the baby out. My, I tell my husband to go see her, make sure she's okay. Because she was my number one priority at that point. She's great. They put her up to my face for like a half a second. Take her and my husband away. That's it. Mm. I didn't get to hold her. I barely got to see her. Nothing. Mm. I then proceeded for a four hour surgery. I was wide awake the entire time. Strapped down, wide awake. Strapped down. I had to have two blood transfusions during the surgery and two later on. Wow. At one point I heard the urologist say, are you sure you didn't cut her kidney open? So I'm laying there pretty much paralyzed, hysterically crying, not knowing anything about my baby, not knowing where my husband is and not knowing exactly what happened to me because they didn't explain anything to me until the very end. Oh, Bethany. So they're just pumping me full of the epidural. At one point I said to the anesthesiologist, because he's the only one I can even see because of the drape. I said, should I be awake for this or should I be put to sleep? And he said, let me ask. And I can hear my OB because I know her voice. And she said, no, it's fine. We're almost done. So I was awake the entire time. They did give me Xanax to try to calm me down. But at that point, it didn't really work. Right. They closed me up. And then the doctor, my OB comes over and tells me that I had the bladder repair. I had to have the septum repair. Or the outside of the uterus repair. And then I guess... She did two whole incisions before she got to the right place. Exactly. Wow. So all of that had to be repaired. And they had to put a drain into my stomach um, for any extra fluid from the blood transfusions and they had to flush out my whole system because they had to make sure that there were no other leaks anywhere. So they had flushed out like my entire insides. Wow. So after four hours, they bring me to recovery and a nurse goes, oh, your husband wants to see you. And I'm like, yeah, bring me my husband and my baby. Right. Of course I don't, he wants I don't, to see me. Of course. I don't, I don't know why this isn't a, a, why this is a question right now. So then he comes in, they bring the baby in separately. I find out they took the baby to the nursery. He didn't even get to see the baby. They took her away from him and had him just sitting in a room in maternity and did not update him until the very end. So he had tried calling, you know, my family, his family or friends and didn't even know what to say because he thought I was dying. Like I, I was questioning during the surgery, am I going to die right now? Am I going to leave my husband with our brand new baby and never get to know her? Mm. 
So while I'm in the recovery room, I call my mom and my sisters and I'm talking to them. And then the nurse comes over to talk to me. And it's a nurse who I dealt with during the labor. And I say, like, how did the doctor miss the uterine septum? How did this happen? And she tells me, well, she's a good OB, but she's not really good at surgery. What does that mean? I don't know. But now I can tell why she said that. Right. But it's something that, I mean, when I looked for an OB when I got pregnant, I didn't look at who does C-sections and who specializes in that because no one ever thinks that that's what they have to have. Right. So I was in the hospital for three days after the C-section with the full drain in my stomach and a catheter. They could, they had to take all the pressure off my bladder to try to let it heal and close up. Right. So I would, I had the baby on Friday afternoon. I was released Monday afternoon on Wednesday, I went to my doctor's office. I just showed up there because we had the pediatrician appointment and I just showed up and I said, I am in so much pain. This can't be normal. This can't be healthy. It's all over my body. It is so extreme that I couldn't hold my baby. I couldn't get up and down off the couch. My husband had to help me do everything. Thank God my husband is so wonderful because he really took the reins with the baby and taking care of me at the same time. And she, so the OB says, it's just gas. Oh, and prescribes me Oxycontin. Oh, so narcotics for the freshly postpartum mother. Wow. And gas pain. Right. So, oh. I mean, to me, I just want to pause. That's just being dismissed completely. Absolutely. Oh. It was, and I didn't realize how bad it was dismissed until the next day when I found out what was going on. So the next day I had a fever over 102 and I was shaking so bad that I could not move. I called my mom. She came and took me to the hospital so that my husband could stay with the baby. So I called the OB and she's like, oh yeah, that fever is not good. Come into the hospital. I get there. I was in septic shock. Wow. So I was immediately taken into triage. They started me on antibiotics, did blood cultures right away. That then proceeded into a chest x-ray, ultrasounds on my stomach. They had to check the bladder to make sure it wasn't leaking. I was there for a total of five days. Oh my goodness. And they did not figure out exactly what was wrong until the fourth day. Wow. So it was four days of me yelling with no visitors because of COVID. My husband and baby could not come. Oh my goodness. I could not see them. I was completely alone in a room at the end of the hallway in the back corner where they told me, we haven't, you have an infection, but we have to figure out what it is. We don't know what it is. You can't be cleared to go home until we know what it is. So they took blood cultures every 24 hours. And it wasn't until the fourth day after me screaming, which I kind of apologize to this physician now because it's not his fault, saying, I need to know what's going on. Nobody's told me anything. So after four days, they finally told, they knew that I had an abscess that ruptured at that point. An abscess where? In my stomach by the incision. Oh, boy. So they checked my bladder and the urologist, after I yelled at the one physician, the urologist called me and said, I did my testing. Your bladder is not leaking. It's not from your bladder. It's something the OB has to distinguish or the regular physician. There's nothing I can do. So I at least appreciated him calling me personally to tell me that my bladder is fine. Right. So it narrows it down to back to the same incompetent OB. So I had an abscess. I guess within my incision or right behind it that actually ruptured burst open my incision 
And I was leaking fluid. So I had to have another two blood transfusions. I was on extreme antibiotics. And then I was being seen by an infectious disease doctor. Unfortunately, I had bacteroides, which is a rare bacterial infection from the abscess that ruptured. Wow. All of this with a one week old. Yes. That I was not with. You're not seeing. Right. So then on the fifth day, a different OB for my practice came and she said, I think you might be eligible for a wound care. So I was like, I don't even know what that is. So they had wound care coming. It doesn't in. sound like something you want to be eligible for, though. No. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you no. won a prize or anything. All I cared was, does that mean I get to go home to my baby? Because that was the most important thing for me. I also asked for a social worker twice to have someone to speak to. They ignored that. I never got to speak to anyone. So I was pretty much just crying this whole time. They were giving me Xanax the whole time as well. And then on the fifth day when the wound care doctor came in, they got me approved for a wound vac. So I didn't know what that is beforehand. Right. It's a vacuum with a tube going into my incision that is then duct taped essentially to my stomach and is pulling out all the extra fluids to pull out the infection. So I was released on the fifth day after that. I had to follow up with my OB every, the OB that did this to me. The OB that did this to you, that missed all of the things afterward. Because no other doctor would take me on with the situation. Right. So I had to see her every week until I was 11 weeks postpartum. I had to have the wound cauterized twice. I wore the wound back for almost a month. Oh my goodness. Um, so I had a nurse coming to my house three times a week to start changing the dress the dressings. After a month, I had to do the dressings myself twice a day, every day until 11 weeks when it finally closed up on its own. Oh my goodness. 11 weeks. 11 weeks. And I had the catheter for two weeks. I have still been following up with the urologist because I now have a permanent bladder injury. A normal mm-hmm. bladder holds 15 to 20 ounces. Mine holds three to five. Oh boy. So I'm just lifelong. It is so small now because of the way that they had to pull it together to close it. So I pee pretty much every hour. They I'm on my second medication trying to see if it will help. I can't mm. empty it fully. So I have so much pressure and bloating when I have to go, which is all the time. Right. So it is still, even though it was seven and a half months ago, it's still constant. And I was diagnosed with PTSD and postpartum depression and anxiety. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry that you were failed by so many people. That's how I feel. I feel like the doctors failed me. I trusted my OB and I trusted them to make the right decisions for me and my baby. And I feel like I was dismissed and I was just left behind. One of the things that stood out to me about your story, as I'm listening, there's certain things we can't control. We can't control the doctor cutting the wrong thing. I mean, you do the best you can, but you don't, you shouldn't have to figure out and know all of this. You should be able to trust that any medical provider that's licensed and is working is competent. That's, that's something we should be able to trust. One of the things that stood out for me is the lack of communication during your surgery and for your husband. Yes. Because I recently found myself in a situation where Things were going wrong in the OR and I was in recovery with the husband. So at least as the doula, I was in the recovery room with him. He wasn't completely alone. However, I didn't have any more information than he did. So we're both sitting there. Um, And what, what I found interesting and great 
um, about that experience, even though it was, again, an uncontrollable sort of a thing. Bad things happen sometimes. And and it was a difficult moment for everybody was that while she was still in the OR and we were sitting there waiting for information, every single person that walked past our bay in the recovery area gave him an update. Even if the update was the same as the person before him, or even if the update was we don't have any more information, every single person addressed him and told him something. And from what I know of her experience and others, it's in the OR being told what's happening, why it's happening, what we're doing, what to expect. I'm so sorry that that was your experience. And, you know, it's one of these things, I, whenever I hear a story like this, I think, what can we learn from this? What can we, and by we, not just parents, but also providers and, and people who are working to make a change in the system, we can't prevent, at least I don't know how to prevent, you know, cutting into the wrong organ twice. I don't know how to prevent, you know, that sort of thing. But there are things like sharing this story so that, you know, people are communicating more with partners so that we're changing the way the baby is handled so that the baby is with maybe doing skin to skin with a partner for four hours during that time. I mean, there are just so many, it feels like there's the controllable and the uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. And there's so much about your story that would have changed your experience had it been handled differently, right? Beyond the, I mean, the rage and the anger that I, I can't even imagine what you feel towards your doctor. There's, but there's like layers upon layers of failed communication, of failed failure to consider your experience. The fact that you had to ask the anesthesiologist, should I be awake for this? <laughs> this doesn't feel like a thing I should be awake for. It was four hours of me just listening to them talk and them do it. I, the only updates I got was when it very first happened of them telling me that like I needed to, you know, go through with the repairs. My husband didn't get an update until later on. So it was hours. And of course, our all of our family is calling, our friends are calling him and he's getting even more stressed because he doesn't have an update. And he's been traumatized by this as well. It didn't just affect me. It affected him as well. And now I hate to say, but it's affected our baby because I can't be the best mom that I can be. I wasn't there for five days. I still get terrified. What if something happens that I have to be taken away from her? Plus all of the medical issues that I've had to deal with where I couldn't get up. I couldn't hold her. I couldn't oh. breastfeed because of all the issues with the fluids and then being in the hospital. And then pretty much they brought a pump into my room and said, here you go. I hadn't used a pump at that point. I was attempting to breastfeed. I hadn't used any pumps. I didn't know how to use it. It wasn't like the one I had at home. Nobody offered to show me. So I just gave it up because I could, it was too stressful to try to figure it out. There was no communication and no support. Mm. And having no support in a situation like that is devastating. It is. It's absolutely devastating. Honestly, having no support in a normal motherhood transition, in a normal pregnancy and birth is ridiculously hard because motherhood and newborn time and birth and postpartum and recovery is really hard for everybody and your situation especially. And for, for you to not have that in-home care or a doula to be in the OR helping you get information, although I'm not sure that a doula would have been allowed to stay past your partner, to be honest with you. Um, it all feels 
more difficult than it needed to be. And the, the overall sense is that you were just alone yes. throughout your entire experience. Mm -hmm. So I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I want to go in two different directions. I just have like a curiosity question for myself of what it looks like with you and your doctor right now. And then I'd love to talk more about what you're doing to to cope and grow and move through this. Yeah. But so in the immediate, what were those appointments like? And what does the relationship look like right now? I had a panic attack after each one. I would cry before going into each appointment. And I was not friendly. I just kind of went in and was like, what do I have to do? What's going on? And she tried to be super friendly to me. I think she knew how upset I was with her. But she can't apologize. She can't take accountability for it because... Why can't she? Medical malpractice. If she takes account of, like, if she takes responsibility. Because she, I'm sorry I did that to you. Then she opens herself up to yes. a lawsuit, which I, I don't know if you want to share or not, but is that something that you're Yeah, I, I can share that too. So, um, so it was pretty much, and they always had someone else in the room. And I don't know if, like, I was so angry, but I also was just like, I don't even want to give her the satisfaction of knowing how bad she hurt me. So I just kind of said, okay, this is my appointment. And I left and I'd have a panic attack every time. And then I had an appointment with her at 10 weeks and it still wasn't fully closed. So we set an appointment for 12 weeks. And when it closed on its own at home, I just canceled the appointment because I was like, I don't even want to see her. Um, and she never checked in. I have not seen or heard from her since. Wow. So I actually just started researching new OBs and I went to a new one last week and I went in there and I didn't even want an exam right away. I just wanted a consultation to go over some of the things that she, that my first OB told me are going to be my risks and hardships for the future and ask someone else's medical opinion. Right. Um, I did speak to a lawyer originally when a few months after this first happened and they pretty much told me it's not a case for them. It's common risks associated with a C-section. Wow. I did get a second opinion and we are working to see if it's something that we can follow through, especially for all the extra medical bills and everything. Like I'm not asking for a, re like I'm not, I'm not asking her for tons of money, but it's all the extra medical bills. My Injury right to your body. So I asked that. I'm glad, you know, I'm not a person that's like, sue the hell out of them. You know, like, I don't, I'm not litigious as a person. I do a lot of like handshake deals and integrity and honesty. Um, so I'm not, I'm not usually that person. And I'm, I'm guessing you're not either. But I just want to point out for anybody who might be listening. I mean, I imagine people who might be listening to this might be thinking, number one, oh my God, sue them for all they're worth. Yeah. Um, or, oh my goodness, like America is so litigious and it's awful. But I would love to just share a little bit of like why America is so litigious and why you're forced to sue in situations like this. And it's because there is no safety net. Because there is no universal health care because those additional medical bills land on your plate and take away from your family's wealth. And whatever time you have to take to care for your child or yourself in different ways, it all adds up and it becomes something that because of our fiercely individualistic approach lands completely and utterly on you. And that's not to say OBs and doctors don't make mistakes. They do. But there is a financial impact. There's also... This is why I asked you, because I wasn't sure. There's also the apology factor. Like, midwives get sued less 
than doctors. And a lot of that, I mean, there's a lot to it. Certainly doctors are doing surgeries and they're doing more risky um, uh, procedures, but a lot of that goes to the relationship. Imagine if your doctor sat you down and apologized and hugged you and, and worked with you. Imagine if they had made eye contact and worked you through your surgery versus most likely panicking on her own, knowing immediately she made a horrible, horrible, huge mistake and going into defense mode. I think that there's something um, to that that actually perpetuates the lawsuits. If I had had my husband with me, if they sat us down, well, obviously can't sit us down in the middle of surgery, but someone came over to explain to us what was going on, what they were doing, what the repairs were, what they actually did to fix it. If I wasn't just dismissed with my pain that she prescribed me oxy for. And then if I actually had someone in the hospital advocating for me, because I don't know what I'm doing. I've never been through this before. So then especially when I'm back in the hospital by myself, I told them I needed a social worker to speak to. I told them I was depressed. I told them I needed to speak to someone and I was ignored where I feel like if I had had the support emotionally that I needed, I wouldn't have felt this anger and this rage towards my doctor and the hospital and all the people that had a part in this. Right. And it's just, I mean, I'm not a suing person and I mean, I have health insurance and everything, but I had over $5,000 in hospital bills from this. And then I had separate bills for stuff for Penelope because we had to stay extra time. My daughter, by the way. And then I had extra bills for the wound vac because the company, even though they told me it was covered, the nurse was covered, but not the wound vac itself. So I had extra bills for that. Wow. Yeah. So it all, it all falls on you. Um, Well, I just, I'm glad you shared that with us and I... Wish you the best with the lawsuit, however it goes. Um, I just, I hope that whoever's listening hears what Bethany is saying and reserves judgment because it's not, it's not helpful. It's not needed, but also I think it can be easy to say, oh, we're so litigious without hearing the story and without hearing the true experience behind it. And then really thinking about what, what could have changed the outcome and and the experience for yourself Mm -hmm. for the trauma, because I mean, what I'm hearing from you is it's not so much the bladder. It's not so much the extra uterine cut. It's not so much even the few days in the hospital. It is the being ignored, the being alone, the not knowing, the separation. It is all of these things that were actually pretty preventable that caused a lot of your trauma that you're dealing with now. And to, to them and the doctor and to all the other doctors that I saw in the hospital, I was just a number. They didn't care about me or the fact that I was a brand new mom being in a hospital by myself, taken away from my child. They didn't care about any of that. They didn't care about me. All they cared about was making their numbers look good and trying to make sure that the hospital looks good and nobody knows about it and just get me in and out and just give me medicine. Wow. Yeah. You you really experienced the uh, business side of the hospital in a horrible, really, really tough way that I don't, I think all of us in some way when we're choosing to birth in a hospital are stepping into that, that it's a business and there are certain things, but there's some, at least some compassion mixed in. It sounds like you really, once they realize they made a mistake, it's almost, it's almost worse because there's this like wall that comes down that they don't want to touch you because now you're like a possible almost definite lawsuit. Yes. So now they're just going to have the least amount of interaction possible. Right. So they didn't 
they had the nurse manager for each shift come and ask me and give me their business card, ask me if I needed anything. And every time I'd tell them, they would say, okay, I'll send a physician in. They didn't wow. actually do anything. That What I needed was for support, which I asked for, and that was not given to me. I didn't need a doctor coming in to tell me, we still don't know what's going on, or you have an infection, or let's just up your antibiotics. Let's just give you another blood transfusion. That's not what I needed to hear. Right. No, you needed someone to hold your hand and make it feel better. Yes. So let's switch gears a little bit. What are you doing for yourself now? What What does it look like for you and your husband to move past this, move through this? Um, how are you caring for yourself? Um, I started seeing a therapist pretty much right away. Um, I found one that specializes with postpartum depression and anxiety and trauma. And I have to say she's been a huge support. She has been quite a help. You know, I started seeing her every week and now we're down to every other week. Um, I also did start taking antidepressants. Um, I was on anti-anxiety medication before that. So we just kind of switched it over to see if this would help. And my therapist gives me homework and tells me things that I need to do to just help make sure that um, I'm connecting with the baby because it, it, I didn't get to connect to Penelope right away. And I didn't realize that until one day it just kind of switched. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm very lucky that my husband was able to stay home for six weeks after the delivery. So he was there to help me. And my job was very, very, good with it too that I didn't go back into the office right away and even now I'm only in the office two days a week so I am very very fortunate with that I have a great support system so I was having people come over to help me even if they would just take care of the baby so that I could clean or take a shower take a nap whatever it was um I'm still going to be continuing with therapy for a while and also as hard as it was seeing a new OB kind of helped me just because the OB that I originally had also told me a lot of risk factors for the future that made me terrified to, and possibly not even be able to have any more children um, because of all the scar tissue and, and, and the bladder injury and all that. So that actually helped me a little bit by getting answers from another professional. Um, I'm still waiting for more testing to be done on my uterus to see the septum, see how big it is, if there's a lot of built up scar tissue. So I'm getting that done at the end of the month. Um, I'm still seeing the urologist to try to work on fixing the bladder injury. But mostly I'm just spending time with my husband and my daughter and trying to enjoy all the moments that we have together. Wow, that's incredible, Bethany. Thank you so much for sharing today about this. I'm, I'm curious if you could go a little bit further into what, what that relationship looked like with your daughter, because I think, um, for a lot of us who have traumatic birth experiences or even just like underwhelming birth experiences, you know, like it's not even, it doesn't have to be traumatic. There can be this, um, this really interesting feeling of like, hating your birth or not liking your birth or feeling terrible about your birth and loving your baby, but feeling guilty about not thinking that was the best day of your life or not feeling connected with them because you're so wrapped up and your body has changed and your life has turned upside down. I know one of the um, big hesitations that people have in taking antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication is that they don't want to harm their baby by having that medication go into their breast milk. 
And yet, I think sometimes we miss the larger picture, which is that somebody who's suffering from severe postpartum anxiety and depression parents differently. Like you said, you're, you feel disconnected. You feel like you're not present for her. What did that look like from day one until now? How has that evolved? Um, it was very rough at first. Like, don't get me wrong. I loved my baby from the second I saw her from the second I found out we were even pregnant and we are very blessed and fortunate that she is healthy. She is great. She's growing phenomenally. She's adorable. And we just love her more than anything. So I always loved her, but I felt like I was so terrified the first few weeks after being in the hospital that something was going to happen to me, that I was going to be taken away that I could possibly die from any of the complications and that if I got too close to her and then was taken away, that would harm her even more. Right. And I couldn't really be the best mom that I could be in the beginning because I couldn't get up and down. I couldn't, I, I chose not to breastfeed at that point because I knew that my emotional and stress levels were too much to even try it that she already had to be on formula because I wasn't producing enough in the hospital. My milk didn't come in right away that I was just like, she's fine on formula. She's fed and happy. And that's what matters. I didn't want to stress myself out even more. And that was what, that was what was important to us. So grateful for you bringing that up because I think sometimes we can get slowed down on ourselves for not wanting to breastfeed or not being able to breastfeed or being able to breastfeed, but at the expense of our mental health. And there's really yeah, we have to look at the mother and the baby at the dyad and about what benefits them as a whole, not just the single minded focus on breast is best and breast milk is, is what you're supposed to be eating. Like, yeah, in an ideal world, certainly, but we're not in an ideal world and we need to just the best we can absolutely and and my husband and I discussed that pretty early on that if I couldn't produce or if it was too painful or too stressful then we would do formula especially because then I would get extra help from him being able to feed the baby and not just it being on me Mm -hmm. and especially after everything we went through I wasn't producing because I lost so many fluids I was on fluids I was having like seven IVs a day of different fluids so I wasn't producing enough anyway so that was my first thing is I'm not breastfeeding I need to be able to make sure that my stress isn't and nothing's added on to the emotional impact of everything that happened Mm -hmm. but I think being pretty much bedridden for a few weeks not being able to do anything really impacted us because I mean I could hold her I could snuggle her but I couldn't be the one to get I couldn't hold her while I sat up or down or while I got up and down because my husband had to help me up and down so I couldn't do a lot of her changings or changing her clothes or the bath because I couldn't even stand for more than a few minutes at the time. So I felt like a crappy mom and I felt extreme guilt over it. And my therapist worked with me on that to like, nothing that I did was my fault. I didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't anything that I chose to do. It was taken from me and I was doing the best I can with the situation that I had. And then after I started feeling physically better somewhat and was healing, it became a lot easier, but it did take a little bit. And I feel terrible saying that, but it absolutely impacted our first, we'll say month at home. And like even filling out my baby's, her baby book, I have left everything about our birth story blank. I I don't have the heart to fill it out because I don't want her to know about the trauma and what had happened. Mm. 
And you don't want to think it was her fault. It wasn't your fault and it wasn't her fault. Yeah. I would never want her to think that. So like before I would ever put it in a book for her to read, I would want to discuss it with her and let her know what happened and let her know that no matter what, I am always there for her, even though I couldn't be in the beginning. Absolutely. It's really beautiful, Bethany. It's what's beautiful is that how you're parenting her and how you're considering her and how you're getting help for yourself so that you can show up for her. And, you know, part of me when I'm thinking about how do we end this conversation, because it feels really like you're still right in the middle of it. And what I would like to say to you, just as someone who was lucky enough to listen to your story, is that the story keeps unfolding, right? So how you feel about your birth while it's happening, how you feel about it right after, how you feel about it a month out, how you feel about it seven months out, it's going to keep changing and evolving. And I say this as somebody who didn't have as severe of a birth as you did, but plans totally went off the rails. People treated me terribly and just sort of felt stunned at the end of my birth with a C-section I didn't want. And having felt largely more upset about the treatment of the people in the hospital than the actual C-section. C-section was fine. It was a C-section. It was the way I was ignored and neglected, but this, it will change for you and it will shift. And I'm not sure if there is, if I ask, if I ask this question, I'm not sure if there's a real answer yet, but I want to ask it knowing that there will be eventually. And that is, is there anything right now and if the answer is no that's okay that you feel like you're glad that it happened this way or you feel like you have grown into something or learned something or gained something from this experience um, that you wouldn't have otherwise um i've learned that birth trauma is more common and it needs to be discussed more often because a lot of people don't want to hear about it. I have tried to accept what happened to me. And I know now that this is who I am now. This is a part of me. We all change. We all grow. And this is my journey. Um, I also realized that even though some days it may not feel like it, that I am a badass and I have survived. Yes. And I'm going to be okay. Yeah. That even though I, I went through this, I will say that, you know, my daughter came out of it. And no matter what, that is the best thing that could have happened to me, is my daughter. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Bethany. And I just wish you so much healing and so much love as you do the work. And I want to point out that doing this and sitting here and telling your story and crying and feeling it is the work. Right. Like it's, I mean, not coming on this podcast is the work, but just sitting with it instead of ignoring it and, you know, trying to go away from it, like feeling into it is the work. And I can see that you're doing it. And sometimes that's why it's so hard and painful because you're doing it and healing rarely looks pretty and like wrapped up in a bow and it often looks messy, messy, messy. So 
Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I wish you all the best. And I actually hope if you're open to it, if we could like check back in in a year and see how you are and how things have developed and, and how you're feeling about your birth and, and everything that's transpired since. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. I hopefully, you know, continue healing, continue on my journey and we'll see how everything goes. But I just want to, you know, thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm, I'm very happy to know you now, Bethany. So thank you for that. Thank you.